to forgive me.
I just love singing praises to Jesus. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible and Living Sound. Hey, follow me. Come on. Hey, give that to me. Uh-uh, I'm going to hide. Well, you tripped me. I'll teach you. you... Uh-oh, don't say it. Don't say what? Well, I was afraid you're perhaps going to take God's name in vain. You shouldn't do that. Whatever are you talking about? How on earth can I take Baal's name in vain? I don't mean Baal. I mean God, Jehovah. If we love God and obey him, we won't use his name irreverently. Say, you are green. You've been living with Elijah up there in the mountains of Gilead so long, you don't know what's what. Why, all of Israel is worshiping Baal now because Queen Jezebel commands it. After all, she is the high priestess of Baal, and she sure is pretty. Yeah, but Baal's only an image. Jehovah's the true God. I'll never worship Baal. You will if you know what's good for you. And you better not let anyone hear you talking about Jehovah. It's not exactly healthy, if you know what I mean. Elijah, is it true that all Israel's supposed to worship Baal? Well, the queen has commanded it, and most of the people do worship Baal. But there are many who remain true to Jehovah. Isn't he the God who delivered Moses and his people from Egyptian bondage? Yes, my son. Well, then he must also be the God of creation. He certainly is. Is there any other God with the power to create? None, my son, none. Jehovah created and sustains all things. Other gods are false, all of them. They have no life, no power. Products of the imagination, mere objects of wood and stone, images. Well, why do people worship them if they have no power of life? Uh, that is a good question, my son, and can be answered in one way only. All false gods, all false religions, all lies, all evil, everything in this world that is not good is the product of the archenemy of God, Satan. Why does Satan hate God? Well, you know, he was once called Lucifer and occupied a position of honor and trust in the courts of heaven. But he became jealous, envious, full of pride. And together with one-third of the angels, he rebelled against God and was expelled from heaven. Through the weakness and fall of Adam, Lucifer took over dominion of this earth. Until the coming of the Messiah whom every Israelite mother hopes and prays will be her son, we will continue to have sin. But through the Messiah, we will be redeemed from the dominion of Satan, from evil, wickedness, and sorrow, and death. We don't have to obey Satan, worship him or his false gods, do we? Even if the king and queen say to? Oh, no. The God of heaven wants us to worship and obey him. If we do, he will send his angels to protect us against the evil power of Satan. Well, then I shall always worship the true God. I shall always worship and obey Jehovah. Even though King Ahab ordered the worship of Baal? Well, which is right, to obey God or the king? Mm, you are wise, my son. We should, first of all, obey God, then the king, if the king's orders are not in direct conflict with the will of God. But Elijah, if I obey God... And, and it happens to be against the king's orders. I still have nothing to fear. Not if God is really the true and living God. He'll take care of me, won't he? Yes, son, he will. Oh, God in heaven, the one and only true and living God, I want to worship and obey thee in all things. I want to love and serve thee, but I know not how. Teach me thy will, O Lord. 
Teach me obedience, teach me hatred of evil and love of good. Teach me to conduct myself in accordance with thy will, that others may know. O God of love, God of compassion, God of all that is good, I thank thee for teaching me thy ways. I thank thee for teaching me to walk in the path of righteousness. I thank thee for the light of truth that thou hast shown me, and grant that I may let thy light shine unto O God of mercy, I pray unto thee with constant hope that somehow Israel shall come to know the awfulness of her ways and the terrible results of sin. O God, Help King Ahab remove sin from his life and lead Israel into the paths of righteousness. O God, if it be thy will, thou canst show unto King Ahab the... Elijah, son of Amri, thou hast loved and obeyed me since the days of thy youth. Thou hast walked in the path of righteousness. Henceforth thou shalt be my representative, my prophet. Get you up out of Gilead, and go to Samaria, unto King Ahab, and say unto him, Elijah, something troubles you, son. Perhaps you would do well to tell me what it is. I... I must go to Samaria, to... To see King Ahab. You have to go? God commanded it. I have a message for the king. You have... Son, you... Have you been chosen by God to be a prophet? Yes, mother. Israel has long needed a true prophet to make known God's displeasure at the great apostasy in Israel and to lead her back to the worship of God. How soon will you be leaving, son? In the morning, at sunup. Is, is the message for King Ahab one of, of sadness or of joy? Sadness, mother. All Israel will be affected and sorrowed, so much so that the message itself is hard to believe. You don't believe it? Of course I believe it, mother, every word of it. I know not how it can possibly be true and come about, but it will. It is God's word, and God's word never faileth. This forest with its stately trees, green and beautiful, seems beyond the reach of decay and ugliness, yet sin is here. This ever-flowing stream, the hills covered with verdure, everything that the eye can see is clothed with beauty, beauty and life put here and sustained by God. The beauty of all these created things, created for the pleasure of man, they shall come to an end, so as to humble apostate Israel through judgment and suffering, that Israel may be brought to repentance back into the fold of those who love and worship the God of love. Oh, there it 
Samaria, the capital of Israel. Its fortifications are so strong and perfect that mere man has no way to penetrate the walls and capture the city. The powerful, unscrupulous King Ahab with his equally unscrupulous Queen Jezebel is within those walls. I must go in. I must give the king the message of doom. The king and queen will be furious, yet I, I fear not, for God's angels will protect me from their wrath. I worship a wonderful and all-powerful God. In him is my trust and all my love. The king and queen are as powerless as a grain of sand to harm me against God's will. continue the Bible story tomorrow, and if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye. So, Jesus died on the cross for us, but then what? Are you sure you're ready for the answer? That's the part about the earthquake and the angel. And the grave clothes with no body in them. No body. Get it? There was no body. No body? But how did Jesus get out of the tomb? Well, the answer's in Matthew 28. Will you read it for us? In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. I wish I could have seen that with my very own eyes. After all that, you'll think that everybody would understand who Jesus is.
greatest man who ever lived, wasn't he? Well, yes, Jesus is the only person who never, ever sinned. That's because Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus is the Son of God who came to be the Savior of the world. Yes, but a lot of people don't know that. I think we'd better start telling people. Wow, that reminds me of the trickle-down theory. God loved us and sent his son. We accept him and tell our neighbors who tell their neighbors who tell their neighbors. Who tell their neighbors who tell their neighbors. Till the whole world has heard the good news of Jesus. Okay, it's time for our meeting to begin. Welcome to the Kids Bible Club. Hey, Pastor Perez, can I ask you a question? Sure, Hannah, what's on your mind? Boys. Oh, oh stop it. I don't mean like that. Does the Bible say anything about why boys are so silly, loud, and mean? Hey, I'm not mean. What makes you think I'm talking about you, Sam? Oh, well, I thought you were going to say something about what happened today at school when someone put a rubber snake in your notebook. How'd you know about that? Um, people talk. You see, Pastor Perez, boys are always doing dumb things that make me mad. I opened my notebook, and that snake scared me half to death. Does the Bible say anything about that? There is a text in Luke chapter 6 that says we should love our enemies. Hey, I'm no enemy. And there's one in 2 Corinthians where God says, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. It was just a little rubber snake. So I'm supposed to forgive and love silly boys who put snakes in my notebook? As Christ forgives and loves us, yes. You're not going to hug me, are you? No, Sam. I'm going to love you, even though you're totally insane. And I'm going to forgive you so that Jesus can forgive you, too. But if you ever put another rubber snake in my notebook, I am going to... To... To what? Hug you! Ah! Alrighty then. I think we can move on with our meeting. Jesus wants to be our friend. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes with Him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Ms. Kathy, I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Do you ever feel left out like your friends want to be with someone else instead of you? What if you really needed those friends to help you solve a mystery? Chris and Maria discover an old safe in their grandparents' basement, but no one knows the combination. Who gave the money to build the cross above Mill Valley? Chris and Maria think the answer is inside the old safe. As they follow the clues, Chris learns some important lessons about friendship and jealousy, and about being a Christian. Chapter 5. Great Grandpa Archer Chris's mouth fell open. Maria's eyes got really big. Who is Yo-Yo telling about their mystery, Chris wondered. They both ran into the living room. Yo-Yo, you were supposed to keep the mystery a secret, Chris said. But I just told Teddy, Yo-Yo whimpered as she hugged her stuffed bear. Teddy can keep secrets. I'm sorry, Quiz. What are you all talking about? Mom's firm voice said from the kitchen. Mom was standing behind them with her arms folded. Chris's shoulders fell. 
Now Mom will know about the safe, too. I'd better explain it all so she understands why it's important. Over at Grandma and Grandpa's last night, we found Great Grandpa Archer's old safe when we were playing hide-and-seek, Chris explained. Grandma told us no one knew what the combination to the old safe was, so it had never been opened. She said we could look through Great Grandpa's old things that were in boxes beside the safe. I see, Mom said. And what did you find? Chris lowered his eyes. Nothing. Except I did find an old statue someone carved for Great Grandpa. Grandma said I could keep it. And I found a bunch of old photographs, Maria added. I told Chris I thought great-grandpa might be the one who donated the money for Mill Valley's cross on the hill, but I can't prove it. I remember a picture of great-grandpa standing beside the cross when he wasn't wearing a beard. I think it might be a clue. Grandma might send me a picture if she finds the one I remember at Uncle John's. I'll go get the statue for you to look at, Mom, Chris said. He got up and went to his room. When he brought it out, Mom held out her hands for it. I remember this, Mom said. It used to sit in your great-grandpa's study. She held it out and looked at it at different angles. The man who carved this did a wonderful job. You'll have to take very good care of this, Chris. Chris nodded. I will. Then Mrs. Vargas got quiet. Chris could tell by the look on her face that she was thinking about something. I remember something else, she finally said. Your great-grandpa kept a safe in his study, too. It sat beside the big desk he used to write at. I also remember that one wall was filled with shelves full of books. Chris went back to his room to get his notebook and pencil. When he got back, he wrote down Mom's description of Great-Grandpa's study. How many books did Great-Grandpa write, he asked. Thirty or forty, I believe. Forty books? Wow! Chris exclaimed. He wrote that down, too. There's a lot more to this mystery than I thought. Should we tell the other shoebox kids, Maria asked. We might need their help. And the more heads, the better, if we're going to search for the combination to that safe. That's a good idea, Chris agreed. It sounds like you two have a lot of detective work to do, Mom said. She checked her watch. It's been a long time since either of you saw Great Grandpa's old house. If we can get the house ready for Sabbath quickly enough, maybe we should drive by and see it. I remember it from a long time ago, Maria said. It's sort of scary looking. Do you think we might find the combination there, Chris asked Mom. I don't know, Chris. It's a good idea to look everywhere, don't you think? People hide things in very peculiar places. I knew a woman who kept the combination to her safe in the phone book. Maybe great-grandpa wrote it on one of the bookshelves or something, Chris suggested. Mom agreed. She sighed. I wish the place had not been allowed to run down so much. What happened to it? Chris wanted to know. Why doesn't anyone live there anymore? Mom's eyebrows knitted together. Well, she said, I believe that when Grandpa Archer died, his belongings were divided equally among his children. The house was sold to pay off what was owed on it, and what was left over was divided up. None of his children could keep the house because it was so big and so expensive. Maria slowly set a can of beans in the pantry while she listened to Mom. What happened to the other owners, she asked. The people who bought it lived there for several years and then sold it. The second set of owners had some financial problems, and the bank took the house back because they couldn't make the payments. It's just too big for most people. Now it's too run down to attract buyers. If anyone were to buy it, they would have to make major repairs to it before moving in. Who owns it now, Maria wanted to know. The city. Mill Valley owns Great Grandpa Archer's house? Yes, it does. Don't you remember a couple of years ago when I told your father that the city wanted to make it into a museum? It's in a good location, not too far from downtown, and in a historical section of town. Mrs. Vargas suddenly stood up and clapped her hands together. 
Listen, guys, if we're going to go, we had better hurry and get the house clean. Maria, you can start on one bathroom while Chris cleans his room. Chris went through his room like a tornado, picking up everything off the floor and bed. Somehow, things got placed back in order, and the bed even got made in the process. Maria cleaned the bathroom she was responsible for, and on her way past Chris's room, handed the cleaning supplies off to him. He headed straight to the bathroom it was his duty to clean, and started working. When they had finished cleaning, they went downstairs and grabbed their jackets. Ready, Mom? Chris called. Just a minute. I'm just finishing putting together a bean casserole for potluck tomorrow. A moment later, Mrs. Vargas was slipping an arm into her jacket and reaching for her purse at the same time. She glanced outside. I wish the wind would stop blowing, but I guess early spring is just a windy time of year. Let's hurry and go so we can be back before Dad gets home from work. The story you have heard today is a chapter of The Shoebox Kids, Book 4, The Missing Combination Mystery, written by Eric Stoffel, edited and created by Jerry D. Thomas, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy, foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come, please let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.